0: There is unfailing love. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Our children are dismissed to Kids Dome. If you are in Kids Dome, you are dismissed now. And for us that are remaining in the sanctuary, open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John chapter 19. gospel of John chapter 19 and we will be we will begin reading in verse 17 when you got it say so and it says "And he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two others with him one on either side and Jesus in the center Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they, cla- they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples, whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with with sour wine, put it on on hyssop, and put it in his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. He gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord God, that is truth, that sets us free. We thank you, Lord God, for the revelation of your kingdom, Lord God, that you give us. And Lord, we just ask you this morning that you would speak to our hearts, Lord God, that you would illuminate our minds, and Lord God, that you would bring edification to our lives. I pray, Father, that we would not just be passive hearers of your word this morning, but that we would be active listeners, Lord God, and respondents to your word, that we would do what you call us to do, Lord God, and that we would bring you glory and honor and all things, Lord God. And we pray these things in the good name of Jesus. Everyone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand really quickly. Want to make sure everybody gets an outline. Keep your hands up so the ushers can see you. Don't put it down until you get the outline, okay? That's That's the key there. Just keep your hands up. It's important that you take these outlines and that you read along me, you can follow along in the outline, Um, in the introduction, you can follow along the first part of the sermon with me, you can also take notes, as I shared with you before, we first started doing these outlines, it was because we were utilizing them in our Connect Life groups, and so in our Connect Life groups, we discussed the sermons and we would have conversation, but what I've been challenging you to do since the beginning of the summer is that you would take these and that you would utilize them, the Bible says that we are all called to make disciples, and so we have the scriptures that we can utilize in order to help make disciples. And so my hope is that you would be discipling someone, that you would be helping someone grow in their faith, and you can utilize these outlines and these questions to help them, but not just them, but also to help yourself, because there's some questions for you to answer in this outline. Amen? Amen. All right, everybody has an outline, so we are going to continue on in our series here. We're continuing in our series, The Real Jesus. And so... In this portion of Scripture, and if you, if you haven't realized, we only have a few weeks left to the end of the year, and we have stood strong. We have walked through the Gospel of John, which has been exciting for me. I hope it's been edifying for you. I know that it's been different because it's the first time that we've ever gone through a book in its entirety in a year. Nonetheless, I think that it's important for us that we go through the Scriptures, that we look at what the Bible teaches, and that we grow together in the faith. And, and really, the biggest thing that I want you to realize, if you haven't gotten this yet, my heart has been this year that we really understand understand something, if we don't understand it yet, it is that it really is all about Jesus. Amen. It really is all about Him. It's not about other things that are going on around us. It really is about Christ. It really is about exalting Jesus. It's about knowing Him. It's about our faith being built in Him. And the way that our faith is built, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Faith doesn't come by me saying some slick quotes. Hello, somebody, right? Faith doesn't come by, and you might be like, oh, that was really good, but that doesn't mean that that built your faith. You know, you might have taken notes. Maybe you tweeted it or something like that, but here's the real deal. The reality is our faith is built upon the word of God. It's upon the words of that that God is inspired. And those are the scriptures. And so my hope is that you will embrace these truths that we've learned and that your faith is being built in Christ and who he is. And so today we're coming to um the, the latter part of John. We only have three chapters left, 19, 20, and 21. And so today we're gonna look at the crucifixion. And the title of the message is A Crucified King. And so in this portion of scripture, and you can follow along in your outline here. In this portion of scripture, we come to the culmination of the most significant moment in history... Here we see the fulfillment of God's promise to crush the head of the serpent and the sacrificial death of God the Son. And so, if you write there in notes, you can write Genesis chapter three and verse fifteen. Genesis chapter three and verse fifteen is called the Proto Evangelion, or the first event, or the first gospel that was preached. And when God was communicating to Adam and Eve and the serpent regarding the fall and the curse that was come upon, that was going to come upon them, God says to the serpent that He would put enmity right he would put this animosity between the seed of the woman and the, and, and, and the serpent and that what would happen is is that the, the seed of the woman would crush the head or bruise the head of the serpent while the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed and so who is that seed that seed is Jesus amen And so God prophesied then that this was going to happen. And what we are seeing here is we are seeing this being accomplished. And so what God spoke, this becomes so important for us because we realize that thousands of years before this comes to pass, God spoke about his son that was going to come and was going to crush the head of the serpent. And for us that are believers, that should excite you because it shows us something. It shows us that that thousands of years, it shows us that much opposition, it shows us that all kinds of things that could have hindered Jesus from coming to be accomplishing this could not happen because what God's plans will be fulfilled it should stir our hearts to know that when God spoke something years and years ago and people may have forgotten about it and people were like God that's never going to happen or try to give different interpretations to it God brings to pass exactly what he communicates and so in this we see this and the second thing here viewing the crucifixion not only should it build our faith, but viewing the crucifixion should remind us of the great sacrifice Jesus made for us in laying his life down for our sins, our redemption, and our reconciliation to God. And so whenever we look at the sacrifice of Jesus, you know, usually we read this scripture on Easter Sunday, right? Because that's what we normally do, read the scripture of the crucifixion or the resurrection. And so we look at that. But today, is, you know, I, I say this often on Easter Sundays, every day should be a day that we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? That's the gospel, right? That's the reason why we do communion weekly. It's so that we can have a, re- a weekly reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And so here we look at these scriptures and what should they do for us every time. I, you know, As I was sitting down, I told you last week that last week's message was depressing, right? It's really depressing. We looked at the deception that is in our hearts and things like that. But I'll tell you, as I was preparing for this week, I really, if you ever want to be depressed, If you ever want to be, if you ever just need to be depressed, I know that we all need to be depressed, right? Because we're just also joyful, right? So we need to just make ourselves depressed because life isn't hard enough as it is. But if you ever just really want to be like, and when I say depressed, I don't mean depressed in a bad way because I want you to get this. If you just want to feel your heart sinking, I want to challenge you to go through the end of each of the Gospels. Just read through them, the last part, the last portions of the gospels of each of them, and look at what Jesus went through on his way to the cross. And you will see as you read these scriptures, if you have any, any kind of heart for God, you will begin to sink in your seat as you're reading that. You'll begin to be humbled in your seat as you're realizing, man, he went through that for me. He experienced that for me because that's what I had to do this week as I was going through and I was looking at the scriptures. I I was being reminded of what Jesus did. And so what happens is this should produce within us a great appreciation for the Savior and hope in the gospel. You see, when we sit down and we sing songs like your love never fails, what makes that song so powerful is not the words, it's not how hype the music is, it's none of that. It is what? It is the reality of what we are singing, that his love never fails that he went through all of this suffering that we'll look at today, that he went through all of this hardship that we'll look at today. He went through all of that and his love never ever fails us. That is the motivation and the reason why we should sing. And so when we look here at John's gospel, John's gospel is a little bit different than the other gospels. Obviously, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are called the synoptic gospels. And so when you look at them, they are they, 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 they synthesize with each other in the sense that what they do is they, they all tell kind of the same exact stories and the same parables. Same same miracles, things like that. They kind of bring it together and each of them will give you a different perspective. You read them together, you get some clarity. But in John's gospel, John does something different when it comes to him focusing on the crucifixion. And he chooses not to focus on the brutality of the crucifixion, but on the continuous fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus, even to the point of death, driving home the point that the one who is being crucified is the long-awaited king of Israel, the Messiah, and the prophet who was foretold that's coming. Are you hearing me? what he does, remember the whole thing is this, is that these are written, so what? So that way you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, you can have life in his name, right? That's John chapter 20, verse 31. That's the memory verse that I know everybody has memorized, and at the end of the year, we're going to celebrate and say it all together one by one. Amen. Okay. So anyway, the point of John's gospel is what? It is so that way we can believe. It's so that way we can know who Jesus is. And so what John does here, and the reason why we read more scripture than we normally do in the in, in in the introduction, is because I wanted you to see that all the way through this crucifixion, even when Jesus is no longer breathing, prophecies are still being fulfilled over his life prophecies are still being accomplished because that is the great and glorious god that we serve amen and so here's the thing even in death and this is the big idea for us today even in death jesus fulfilled the word of god so we can trust him with our lives i'll say that again even in death jesus fulfilled the word of god so we can trust him with our lives listen if death could not hinder jesus from fulfilling God's will, nothing that we face in our lives can hinder God from accomplishing his will in us. This is the big idea that I want you to grasp, that no matter what you're facing, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what is going on around you, you and I can trust wholeheartedly that God can accomplish his will in us. It's up to us to trust him to fulfill his purposes and his plans according to his will and according to his desires. Amen? Amen. And so here's the first thing I ask you to repeat after me. Say, our king graciously cares for us. Our king graciously cares for us. Now let's look at verse 26 to 27. Normally, what I would do is I would run through all of the scriptures in, 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 a, in a portion that we read and run through them. But what I want to do is I'm going to focus on a small portion in this chapter. And the reason is because I want us to look at these three different things that happen on the cross that become so important for us. Three particular words that Jesus communicates. And so the first one is this. Our king graciously cares for us. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother... And the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his, his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. So here's what I want us to do for a moment. I told you about being depressed, right? So I'm going to get you a little depressed real quick. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. And um, let's look at this together. And there's a reason for this because I want, I want you to understand really what's happening. See, because if you read this scripture here and you just think, oh, you know, whatever, you know, Jesus said these words. That's real nice. He was thinking about his mom. But you don't realize what Jesus has actually gone through, then you, you, you really don't understand the depth of really what was going on here. And so look at Matthew 26 really quickly. And we're going to look at verse 65 and Verse 68. Matthew chapter 26, verse 65, when you got to say so. It says, and the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palm of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ. Who is the one who struck you? I look over to chapter 27 and verse 26. It says this. It says, Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governors took Jesus in the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail! king of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. And you can turn back to the gospel of John. And so John doesn't show us all of these graphic details, but we realize that Jesus was spat upon. We realize that he was smacked, that he was beaten. For those of you that have seen the Passion of the Christ, raise your hand if you've seen that movie really quickly. Just show your hands. For those of you that haven't seen it, it is a graphic, graphic depiction. And I'm not saying that, it, that, that, that every single thing in there in the movie is accurate, but what I do want you to know is that the beating of Jesus is probably the closest picture that you will ever get. And listen, I'm gonna tell you something. I encourage you, I know that some people in here are like, man, I can't watch years ago. We were. I was preaching on a, on, a, on an Easter Sunday, and I decided to show that. And there were some people that were actually offended that I showed that. Some people they just couldn't handle it because it was so overwhelming and so emotional. And here's the deal: the deal is that you know we watch, and, and I hate to say this, but there's some people that even Christians you watch some movies that you shouldn't be watching, right? And what I mean by that is some movies with some nasty language in it. You watch some movie with some nasty for nasty pictures in it. You watch some stuff that you should feel very convicted and very bad about okay and here's the thing but some of you won't take the time to look at something that is a true story that really happens and gives you a graphic looking into what your savior really went through when you look at the passion of the christ and you see that portion there when he is being beaten you are literally seeing the gravity the 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 the, the nastiness of the way the romans would whip someone when that when that talks about being scourged Okay, and that beating that jesus took what he went through there when we see it in the pages of our bible It doesn't allow us to really elaborate in our minds because we think oh he was spit upon or whatever But when you really think about that and you can go back to that beating That's what jesus went through prior to that another word that we read past real quickly And I noticed this that every single one of the gospels says it the same way It says and he was crucified and it moves on And the reason for that is because when you look at the word crucified, the people who were in that time reading those scriptures would have read crucified. And in their mind, they understood what was happening. And so here's the thing. There's two plausible things of what happens in the crucifixion. I'm going to give you both of them. One of them is this. And first of all, what would happen is after Jesus was beaten, the scriptures show us that he carries his cross. And that was the cross beam of what he carried. And so he wasn't even strong enough after this beating to carry it himself. Someone else had had to help him carry it. But what he did was... He carried the cross, and whenever a criminal was, was was crucified, they went from the place of judgment and they had to carry that cross beam from the judgment place to the place of crucifixion throughout the city, and that way the people would know that this was the worst of worst criminals, and that he and that way people would fear the execution he was about to receive. And they would bring him to the place of crucifixion. And so here's one plausible side it's that they laid him down on the cross beam when they laid him down on the crossbeam, for sure this is what happens, is that regardless of both of the plausible situations, this is what occurs. They stretch out their arms as far as they can. They take the nails and they either nail them through his wrist here or they nail them through his hand, probably through his wrist so that way he can hold his weight there. And then they nail him down there, alright? So this is painful, excruciating. He's already been beaten. He's already gone through enough, but they're going to do that as well. So now they, beat, they do that. And so the one idea is this, because I've read this and I've always believed the second one, but this is another plausible idea. It's that they They find a way to 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 pull him up on that cross beam so now he's held by these nails till they bring him up to the top and then they put him into the other part of the cross and then once he's there they put his feet on top of something and they nail his feet into the cross now the reason they're doing this is because the way someone died typically from crucifixion was from what suffocation right because they couldn't breathe and so they had to keep pushing themselves up and so that's one plausible idea the other one is that it's more like akin to the passion of the christ and what happens is is that they bring him he carries his cross they lay him down on top of it all pieces are there he's nailed to the cross and then he is slid up into the hole that is there for the cross and then his body jerks one last time as he falls down onto the cross either one is excruciating But this is what the crucifixion means. This is what Jesus has gone through. Why do I paint this picture? Because I want you to know that even the best person, even the nicest guy, would not be thinking about anybody else at that moment. Are you hearing me? At minimum, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know me. When I'm in pain, I don't want anybody to touch me. Hello. Right? Like I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want anyone to see me crying because you know I'm a man and I can't cry, right? You know, you know how that is, right? You know, I don't want anyone to be near me when I'm in pain. And so Jesus is not only, I mean, he is butt naked. I mean, I know we see the pictures. He is butt naked on there. That's part of the embarrassment of what's going on. He's hanging on this cross. He's not concerned about himself. This is the third word, by the way, that he said because the first one was what? "Father, forgive them for they know not what they do." The second word was what? It's when he promises someone salvation though God on the cross and he says surely surely i tell you today you will be with me in paradise and then we come to the third word where he says woman behold your son and look behold your mother So what is he doing? He is saying, listen, I want someone to take care of you because what? Because even on the cross, Jesus is concerned with what? Fulfilling the will of the father, which is what? To honor your father and your mother. Jesus being the eldest son, guess what? He was supposed to take care of his mother, but because he was being crucified, he does what? He passes the baton onto his beloved disciple, John, and says, you take care of my mother for me because I won't be able to do it. This is the Savior that we have. Our King graciously takes care of us. Why is it so important for us? Well, first of all, because it shows us that God is not self-centered. But can I bring it to, to, to us personally? See, because when we go through hardship in our lives, when we go through difficulty in our lives, you want to know what the last thing we want to do? Care about someone else. You want to know what the last thing we want to do? We don't want to pray for anyone else. We don't want to think about anyone else. We don't want to look at anyone else's needs or anyone else's situation. But the reality is that God gives us a great example in his son that no matter what, listen, I don't know, and nobody in here is hanging on a cross. Hello. Nobody here has gone through. I, I Listen, I know we all going through, you know, difficult situations and different situations in our lives, but no one has gone through what Jesus has gone through. I'm sorry. None of us are experiencing that. And yet on this cross, Jesus is showing us the great example that when you and I are going through our most difficult moments that we must concern ourselves with other people. Are you here? We must have that mindset the same way that Jesus. Why was Jesus able to do this? It is because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that even though he was suffering, even though he was going through this crucifixion, his life was in the hands of his father. Are you here? And because he knew that his life was in the hands of his father, he was able to take his focus off of himself and put it on someone else. He was able to be concerned with obeying what the scriptures teach. And so you and I must come to terms with the reality that God the father cares for us so we can, so we can imitate Jesus and showing care and concern for others even when we feel the weight of our own needs. Are you here? Even when I'm going through the hardship, even when I'm experiencing heartache in my life, I should still allow the grace of God to move through me so I can minister to the needs of others. This is what Jesus does for us. This is the example that he shows us. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is they say, Our king doesn't miss a single detail in his purposes for our lives. Our king doesn't miss a single detail in his purposes for our lives. Let's look at verse 28 through 29. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on his and put it in his mouth. And so we would seem like, did this when we look at this, right? This looks like something that is completely insignificant. But you know what he said here? Look what he says, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Listen, this is what I want you to understand here, is that our God is a God of details. Jesus didn't leave one prophecy about himself unfulfilled. Check this out. Even in the breathing of his last breath. We looked at the scriptures here, right? We We read through here about the breaking of the legs and the reason why they broke the legs obviously the scripture tells us because it was the day before the sabbath it's friday and they don't want these people to be hanging where they don't want them to be hanging on the cross because the sabbath is saturday so they need to get them down now not now now this one thing that you, that we don't realize is that in crucifixion people didn't die like in a couple of hours sometimes people took days as a matter of fact, crucifixion was so terrible, some people literally lived long enough to have, them, to have them actually be eaten by animals before they died. Are you hearing me? Crucifixion was terrible. But the way that they would die is because of what? They suffocated. And so what they did here was they broke the legs of the people that were on the cross so that way they could no longer prop themselves up. And so that way they would suffocate. That's what they did. And notice what they do. They come to Jesus and Jesus is what? He's already dead. Can I tell you something? If Jesus would have breathed his last breath one second later, guess what would have happened? The prophecy of, of unbroken bones would have not been fulfilled. And you know what we could have done? We could have rejected Jesus as not being the savior that he declared that he was declared to be. We could have rejected him as that, but our God pays attention to all of the details. Every one of the details. Seconds later, and he would have what? That would have been an unfulfilled prophecy. See, here's the thing. We must realize that God cares about the details of our lives. If you think about the old covenant, right? In the old covenant, we have like these laws, right? These ceremonial laws about the sacrifices. We have the civil laws of the way that the people are supposed to work with each other. And then they have something called dietary laws. Say dietary laws. I know y'all don't want to hear about dietary laws. Hello, somebody, right? Because all y'all love pork. It's Christmas time, y'all. For all y'all Hispanics, you want some penil. Hello, somebody, right? For some of y'all, y'all want some ham. Glory to God. So if we go by dietary laws, y'all can't do that. For those of you guys that... And you don't even think about this one. For those of y'all that like shrimp, you can't have shrimp because dietary laws forbid that. Hello, somebody. Uh Uh-huh. You thought it was just the pork. Nah, man, you can't have any of that stuff. You know, all that stuff that you love, right? But here's the thing. This is what I want you to realize, When you think about the dietary laws, why do I bring them up? Because we're bound by them? No. Because I want you to know that God is concerned with the details. He points out exactly what they're supposed to eat. He's saying, hey, these things are good for you. These things are not good for you. I mean, I'm just saying that's what he communicates. He makes sure that he shows us that he's involved in the details. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it tells us what? It tells us that whether we eat or we drink, we are to do all for the glory of God, which shows us again that no matter what we are doing, God is involved in the details of our lives. See, we must live our lives, and I want to say this a couple times today, we must live our lives for the glory of God. That's the big thing for me is that we live. What 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 is the, 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 the vision of faith? on am a fellowship. It is to please the Lord. That's what it is, right? And so the vision is to please God. We want to please him. In other words, I want to live and you should want to live for his glory. And here's the thing, knowing that every word, this, this is why it's so important. And this is why I can live, why you can live for the glory of God. You don't have to live for your own glory. You don't have to live for someone else's glory. You can live for the glory of God because of what? Because every word that God has spoken over your life specifically and every word that is general to all of us will come to, bat, will come to pass and you need to know that God's not going to miss a detail. Are you hearing me? You and I need to know that. See, we need to be secure in that. See, sometimes we think, you know, oh man, maybe God forgot about me. Maybe God forgot about this detail. We we're sharing in our connect group one of one of my brothers was talking about it, said man you know god is always on time with his provision he's never late he's like i wish he could be a little bit early hello somebody <laughs> makes you think sometimes though did god forget god does not forget a detail every prophecy listen and i and i, and I say this sincerely god still speaks today amen somebody He still speaks to us. He still, And anything that he speaks to us should be aligned with the scriptures. It shouldn't be against the scriptures. It shouldn't be speaking to the idols of our hearts. It should be something that aligns with the word of God. And anything that God has spoken to you, anything that God has spoken to me, it's going to come to pass. All we have to do is do what? We need to align ourselves to living for his glory. This is the truth. The truth is that the word of God has plenty of promises. Let me say it like this. You don't need a prophecy over your life to live for the glory of God. Hello. You have plenty of scripture here that deals with a lot of the details of your life. You know what it is? Most of us don't want to look at the scriptures. Hello? Many of us, we want want God to speak to us specifically. I've said this before. You know, you're praying about your marriage and stuff like that. God, speak to me. God, speak to me. God's like I already spoke to you. It's in the word of God. Hello? Hello? You want a special delivery note to you that says, hey, so-and-so, this is a word for you in your marriage. No, the word is right here for your marriage. This is what the Bible says for your life. This is what the scriptures teach and communicate for us. And so we need to realize God's word shows us clearly what his will is. And so we need to know that any promises that are in the word of God, anything that God says that is for us, it will come to pass. And we can trust that God will not fail at accomplishing one thing in there. Every T will be crossed. Every I will be Dotted. Amen? And so we can trust God in that. The third thing is this say, Our King king knows knows how to finish. Our King knows how to finish. Look at verse 30. Bless you. He says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus shows us how to finish. He lived perfectly according to the law. He died sacrificially, fulfilling all prophecy, and did it all for the glory of the Father. And so when you look at this word it is finished, right? I'm going to give you the definition in a moment for those of you that don't know it, for those of you that do know it it'll be a reminder. But here's the thing. I want you to realize that up until this point, everything what Jesus is saying when he says it is finished, he's saying everything that needed to be accomplished up to this point has been done. Oh, there's still more that's going to happen because guess what? In 3 days, he's going to rise again. And not only is he going to rise again, but he's going to ascend to heaven, he's going to sit on the throne of glory, and he is going to return. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. There's a lot more that's going to Happened. but up until this point everything that needed to happen for us has been accomplished and so this word it is finished it is one word in the greek and it is and it is the word tetelestai and so for those of you that are taking notes i spell it out for you real quick it's t-e-t-l-e-s-t-a-i t-e-t-e-l-e-s-t-a-i tetelestai and it means and this word is unfamiliar to us But it was used by various people in everyday life in those days. And so one of the people who would use this word as a servant would use this word reporting to his master. I have completed the work that has been assigned to me. So Jesus comes as what? As that servant saying, I've completed the work that is done. Whenever a priest would examine an animal sacrifice and found it faultless, this word would apply as well. So Jesus, of course, is the perfect lamb of God without spot or blemish. So can you see that? The servant has accomplished God's will? He's the spotless lamb that is there. Here's the one that I really like. When an artist completed a picture or a writer, a manuscript, or, or she, he or she would say, it is And so here's the beauty of this. The death of Jesus on the cross completes the picture that God has been painting, the story that he had been writing for centuries. And because of the cross, we understand the ceremonies and prophecies in the New Testament or the Old Testament. And so perhaps the most meaningful meaning of Tetelestai that was used was by merchants. And this is the one that you guys hear of all the time merchants would put on something paid in full. That's what Tetelestai meant. And so when he gave himself on the cross, Jesus, Jesus fully met the righteous demands of a holy law. He paid our debt in full. None of the Old Testament sacrifices, hear me when I say this, could take away sins. Their blood only covered sins. Did you hear the difference? See, the Old Testament sacrifice covered sins, didn't remove sin. But the Lamb of God shed his blood that the blood can take away the the sins of the world. This is what this word to tetelestai means. And when Jesus gets on the cross and he says, it is finished, he is saying it is finished. He is saying there is nothing else that is left to be done. There was an evangelist that uh, his name was um, Alexander Wooten. And he was he, a, a young man came up to him, a flipping young man came up to him and he asked him a question. He said, what must I do to be saved? And so the evangelist looked at him and said, it's too late. And the guy was like, oh, hold on a second. He's like, are you saying that there's nothing that I can do? He's like, is there nothing I can do to be saved? He's like, no, it's too late. It's already been done. All you can do is believe. You see, we, we want to add. We want to try to save ourselves. We want to try to deliver ourselves. And we need to realize that. To tell us means it is finished. The only thing that we can do that has to do with salvation is believe, is to trust in the Savior, to trust in the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It's to realize that, listen, apart from God, I am lost in my sin. Apart from God, I am on my way to hell. Apart from God, there is truly no hope for me. That apart from God, there is no deliverance. My religious activities, they don't save me. Me coming to church, don't save me. Me giving money, doesn't save me. Me singing songs, doesn't save me. Me being good doesn't save me. Me giving to charities doesn't save me. Me doing all the good stuff that I can do, none of that stuff saves me. There is one thing that saves me, and that is the sacrifice of my Savior. There is one hope that I have, and that is to put hope in Jesus Christ, to trust him with all of my life. And the beauty of this is, is that it doesn't end there, but what happens is, when I put my faith in Jesus, for those of you that have done that, you receive a new identity. No longer does God know you by the old you, but God calls you a new creation in him. Amen? God calls you a new person. You have a new life, and then he does what? He gives you new desires. He gives you a new heart. He gives you this new identity by which you need to recognize yourself so you can live for his glory which is what i said jesus death was a ransom hear me when i say this not just an example i don't want to minimize jesus death at all to being just an example to us because many people will say that that his death was just an example it's just something we're supposed to follow And listen none of us could follow in his footsteps when it comes to his death He did way too much for us. But what I do want you to realize that in his death, there are some examples for us. And what we can do is say, you know what? I want to do what Jesus did. Jesus lived fully and he lived completely for the glory of God to fulfill the will of God. And for us, it should be the same thing, that we live completely and fully for the glory and the honor of God. I want you to see this video and then I'll come wrap up. I said one of my favorite ones was the use of the word tetelestai whenever a painter was done or whenever a person writing a script was done. And the reason why this is important is because when we look at our lives, my question for you today is where are you struggling to trust your great king in your life? Maybe it's that you're struggling to trust him in the fact that he cares for you just to know, hey, man, he does care for me. He is concerned with what I'm going through. Maybe that's where you're struggling to trust him in your life. Maybe you're struggling to trust him in the details of your life. And those small details that you think that he may not be concerned with, he may not be involved in, maybe that's an area where you're struggling to trust in him. Or maybe maybe it's that you just don't trust that he's going to finish the work that he's done. See, some of us get to that point where we think, man, you know what, maybe may, maybe he's not going to finish. Maybe he's done with me already. But I want you to know that if you're still breathing today, he's not finished. Amen. He's still working in your life. And so wherever it is that you may be struggling to trust him today, my encouragement for you is just like we saw this painting up here, is that you realize that God is painting the picture of your life. He is accomplishing his purpose in your life, and he wants you and I to simply do one thing, as I said earlier today, live for his glory. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet and let us pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for this day, God. We thank you for our brothers. We thank you for our sisters, Lord God, that are in this place. And Heavenly Father, I just lift up every one of them unto you right now. And I know, Father God, that as we look into your word, Lord Jesus, it is hard sometimes to trust you with our lives, Lord. Sometimes we look at the scriptures and it's hard to translate that into our everyday lives. But Father, I just pray for those that are struggling to trust you in the different areas of their life, Father God, in the details that they would realize that you are there, Lord, God. You are working all things together for your good, Lord God, for their, for, for your glory, Lord God, for their good. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those that are struggling, Lord God, to know that you're going to finish that work which you began in them, that you're going to accomplish that work that you began in them, Lord God, that they would recognize, dear Lord, that you are at work and that you have not given up on them, my God. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those that are struggling, Lord God, just to know that you care, Lord God. Those that are doubting your love, that are doubting, Lord God, your concern, my Lord. I just pray that you would fill us with grace. I pray for the ones in this place, my God, that may not know you today, Heavenly Father, that they would come to know you as the Savior that you are, Father God, that they would put their trust in you, that they would put their faith in you, Lord God, and the great sacrifice that you made for them, that they would know, Lord God, that that was not something that just happened, but that you intentionally died in our place, Lord God, that we may be able to to have life and life to the full in you, Father. Lord God, today I pray for your grace to fill my brothers and my sisters, Lord God. Be glorified in all of our lives, Lord, and we pray that we would be able to live for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' good name, someone said? Give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. As Pastor Chad makes his way up here, um, and he's going to receive our tithes and offerings,